0: Good morning. My name is Mark, and this morning, if you want to open your Bibles or your Bible app to Nehemiah, second chapter, um, we're going to read verses 9 through 20. Nehemiah 2, 9 through 20. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen, but when Sanballat the Horonite And Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this. It displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me, but the one on which I rode. I went out by night. By the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall and I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, and I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble that we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned, come. Let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that has been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite, and Tobiah the Ammonite servant, and Geshem, The Arab heard of it. They jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper, and we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem.
1: Thank you, Mark Lopshire. Let's pray, church. Lord, there are so many rich and powerful lessons for us. Uh, for those of us who find ourselves in a place of leadership, Lord, maybe here at the church of a ministry, or maybe in our homes as a parent, maybe in our business as a boss or an owner, maybe as the coach of a team, Whatever it may be, there's so many areas of leadership and things that you call us to. And so, Lord, I pray that the lessons of Nehemiah would land in us and that it would help us to see our lives through the grid, the lens of scripture, and interpret our lives through the lens of scripture. The one true narrative over life and who we are, and who you are. So speak to us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, to quickly catch you up, Nehemiah is the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes in Persia, in a city called Susa and it was a good gig, because his job was to eat the best, eat the best wine, (laughs) eat the best food and drink the best wine, and he was to eat and drink before the king would eat and drink, so that it could be determined if there was poison in the food, which was always a possibility. In those days, being a king, you always had enemies trying to take you out, and so your job the thing they paid you to do was to eat that food drink the wine before the king and the queen would ingest it now of course the you know that's a good gig but the downside is that there was a you know a fair chance you might go out uh eating that great food and drinking that best that really good wine so i i uh, did a Google search this week, going, what's the most dangerous job in America right now? And Forbes just did a a survey, and uh, and it turns out that logging is the most dangerous job in America. And it turns out that 82 people per 100,000 loggers uh, will die per year in a logging uh, accident, and 3.1 will be injured. Uh, per 100. So Nehemiah's job, I don't know what the stats were for cup bearers, but it was probably at least that dangerous, if not a bit more. Uh, so Nehemiah's brother one day shows up after having returned from a trip to Jerusalem about 800 miles to the east and the south from where they were there in uh, Persia. And Nehemiah asked his brother, how is Jerusalem doing? How is God's city Jerusalem? And how are God's people doing? The ones that have returned from exile. And Hanani, and, I, and I said that, listen, brother, the, the wall is broken down and in ruins. Therefore, the city is a, it's a dump. And God's people are living in misery and in shame. The people were were miserable. They were continually taunted and mocked and harassed by the surrounding uh, peoples. You know, we, we see that happening in our day. I noticed this past week, Target is announcing it's closing nine stores in various cities because of theft. So, so smash and grabs are becoming a big thing in our nation, in, an, in our nation's cities. Groups of mostly young people will go into a store and begin to smash out all the, you know, the cases and so on and just take the merchandise. Now this was from an article in the paper this week, quote, in Philadelphia Tuesday, a group of young looters who outnumbered cops hit several outlets in the same night, including Apple, Foot Locker, and Lululemon stores. Article goes on, there's no mystery about what's driving the surge. It coincides with the dramatic elimination of consequences for criminals, especially low-level repeat offenders in cities. And the, the article uh, goes on to say, takes a shot at the... Uh, <laughs> the uh, uh, prosecuting attorney, the DA of Manhattan, Alvin Bragg, who proudly boasted on his first day in office that he'd avoid imposing consequences on lawbreakers. So, so we've got cities now where law enforcement kind of has their hands tied because they know the prosecuting attorneys won't prosecute the criminals that they catch. And so the, the wall is broken down in our cities, and so the enemies have access, and so you can't have things of value within the cities because it's only gonna get stolen. So businesses leave, and the cities become a dump, and the people are suffering. That was the condition of God's city and God's people. Nehemiah was devastated when he heard about it, and his devastation, his burden, launched him into prayer, about four months of praying. But during that season of prayer, he was also planning. He was doing math. He was surmising, what would it take to get that wall rebuilt? And so he figured all of that out ahead of time. So Nehemiah prayed, and then he began looking for an open door to present his plans to his boss, the king, King Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes was the the son of, of Xerxes, who, by the way, was married to Esther. For you Bible nerds who keep track of that kind of stuff, you know Queen Esther from the Bible. Yeah, so Queen Esther was King Artaxerxes' stepmom. And Nehemiah's open door came in a pretty unexpected way. He was in the palace with the king and the queen. He was testing the wine and the food, you know, that was his job. And when he gave the tested wine and food to the king and queen, King Artaxerxes noticed that Nehemiah was sad. Now that's, that's a no-no. If you are serving in the presence of the king, you don't bring problems in to the palace and into the king. You, you alleviate problems, right? And so the king said, why are you sad? You're not sick. This is, you have, this is just a case of the blues. Now, Nehemiah didn't know what to make of that. The Bible just says that he was very afraid at that moment, meaning he, he was very aware that he could be killed for his lack of professionalism in the presence of the king. So, Nehemiah had to respond. The king asked him, so he told the truth. Nehemiah said, why would my heart not be sad seeing that the city of my fathers lies in ruins, the walls and the gates are destroyed? So so the reality is, there wasn't an option for Nehemiah. He was was a person of character. And so lying was not an option. He had to tell the truth. So he he just put it out there. The city of my ancestors is a dump and the people are in a bad way. Listen, there's a a wonderful freedom about being tenaciously tethered to the truth. Just tell the truth. Even if there may be consequences negatively, tell the truth. Telling the truth, living out the truth to the best of your ability, not lying, not deceiving, will lead you in the path of God's perfect will for your life. And it will make you a person of substance and character. You will be... Respected because you speak the truth. You're not a conniver. You're not a manipulator. So Nehemiah told the truth, and that resulted in King Artaxerxes asking him, what are you requesting?
0: Woo!
1: It could have gone another direction, folks. It could have gone a whole other way. King could have said, what do I care about your worthless city? That dump 800 miles away. Don't you bring your burdens into here? Or or it could be worse. The king could have said, off with his head. But the king asked, what do you you need from me? Nehemiah's ready. He says, king, live forever. (laughs) I'm I'm so, I got your t-shirt on, like, fan of the king. Like, I'm so a fan of you, King, Um, but here's what I need. You need to send me to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. I want the rebuilding of the wall to be official empire business. So I'm sent by you, and I want 12 years off to get the job done. And I'd like for you to give me letters to give to the governors of the various provinces in that area where I'm going so that they won't give me any trouble. They'll know that I am officially sent by you. And I'd like a letter to give to Asaph, the guy who oversees all of your building supplies, your timber and all of the rest, telling him to give me whatever I want when I want it. And, I'm gonna need those materials to to build the city wall. I'm gonna need materials to build massive gates in the wall, and I'm gonna need some sweet materials to build me a sweet house. That's what I want. Mm -hmm. Nehemiah 2.8 says, and the king granted me what I asked. Nehemiah was ready. And Nehemiah then adds, he says, because the good hand of my God was upon me. So Nehemiah, I want you to catch this. Nehemiah was, he knew it was the answer to his prayers. It was unmistakable to Nehemiah. Why? Well, Psalm 130 verse one puts it this way, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. And then verse six, my soul waits for the Lord, more than the watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. So the idea is this, I make my cry to the Lord. We pray about the things that concern us, the things that burden us, then we wait with expectation. We're looking for the answer, like the night watchman. He's been up in the tower all night long, he's tired. He's now looking for the glow of the sun to start coming up over the horizon. And he knows it's coming. So his posture is not, oh, I hope the sun comes up today. Right? I mean, he's, he's certain it's going to. So, so he's got a certain expectation that it's coming. He's confident. He's expectant. When we add expectancy to our prayers, we are on the lookout for the answer to our prayers. We are like the watchmen. We're looking for. Oh, I, I, that might be it right there. This might be the answer to those prayers. The result is that when the answer does come, we say, "Thank you, God." To God be the glory. I suppose Nehemiah, um, if he hadn't been expecting in his praying when the king, you know, granted his request for all this stuff, Nehemiah said, "Whoa! It's my lucky day." Thank you, universe. or thank you, me, I'm such an obviously persuasive guy. That wasn't even a thought. Nehemiah was looking for the answer to his prayers more than the night watchman waits for the dawn, so when the answer came, it was obvious that it was God. Now, it's time for Nehemiah to mount his horse along with a contingent of captains from Artaxerxes' army and make their 800-mile journey to Jerusalem. Four things for us to consider this morning Concerning our calling to serve our King Jesus, uh, who is also in the midst of a building project. Uh, We like Living stones are being fit together on top of one another, being built into a house of God. There's a building project that's going on in our church, in your life, and so we need to partner with God in what He is calling us to in terms of the building of our lives, the building of our church, and so on. So, four things to consider, and these these are Great biblical wisdom, especially for leaders, whether you're a parent, a teacher, a coach, a ministry leader, a pastor, a boss, whatever. These are powerful principles for leaders. Number one, the inevitable opposition. I alluded to it earlier at the beginning of the service, the inevitable opposition, verse nine. Then I came to the governor, so they they made it uh, all the way into the area. I came to the governors of the province beyond the river, that means beyond the Euphrates, and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent me with officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant uh, servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of God's people. So Nehemiah shows up with his Persian army guys, met with various politicians who had authority over these various regions. He gave them letters that King Artaxerxes uh, had crafted, stating that Nehemiah was legit. He was authorized to do a building project in Jerusalem. It did not take long for word to travel to Sanballat and Tobiah. Joker and the Harley Quinn of the Nehemiah story. Just a few Batman fans here this morning. I I thought I'd take a shot. Thought I'd take a shot. Thank you. That's all I need. (laughs) So Sanballat and Tobiah are super upset. Why? Why are they upset? Because someone is coming seeking the welfare of God's people. You know, there are are people in this world, in this country that, that do not want your blessing. They do not want you to prosper and to be able to live your life as a Christian according to the word of God. They are against you. It makes them mad that we have all the freedoms that we have. According to Nehemiah 13:28, Sanballat was connected by marriage to the priestly families, and we have an ancient document from this period of time that refers to Sanballat as the governor of Samaria. And then according to Nehemiah 13, 4, Tobiah was Jewish and directly related to the priest. So I want you to think about this. These guys who are obviously enemies, you would think that they would be all for the rebuilding of God's city and the flourishing of God's people and the flourishing of the church in that day, the temple where the, where the worship took place. Why wouldn't they be totally for that? They certainly could have been assets to the work, you know, had they been for it. They were well-connected people, religiously and politically, and yet they were utterly opposed to someone seeking the welfare of God's people. What is up with that? Doesn't make sense, does it? What that means is because someone of influence claims the name of Christian It does not mean that they are for the flourishing of Christians, for the flourishing of the church, or for the flourishing of you. Doesn't mean it at all. We currently have a president who claims the name of Christian, presumably believes in the triune God, believes that Jesus died for his sins, rose from the dead, yet he is making the right to kill babies in the womb a central issue in his campaign. That doesn't make sense. His Department of Justice has been targeting protesters, pro-lifers who pray and sing at Planned Parenthoods, jailing them and prosecuting them. Just because someone claims the name of Christian doesn't mean that they are for you, doesn't mean that they're for us. Please note that when the opposition came, it wasn't when Nehemiah was first burdened with the news of Jerusalem. It wasn't in the prayer and waiting phase. It wasn't during his planning and vision stage. Opposition came when Nehemiah began to move out and do something. That's when it came. That's when it'll come in your life. Guaranteed. You can dream, talk, pray, vision cast all you want, and Satan won't bother you because Satan knows that most people never get past that point. They never launch out. But the moment you step into action and move into ministry, the enemy will rise up to stop you. Famous verse, Ephesians 6.12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, and spiritual wickedness in high places, against the uh, powers over this present darkness and so on. So the fight ultimately is not against people, it's against Satan and demons that are arranged in, in a hierarchical kind of army and yet, and yet, Satan's opposition will manifest itself through people. And often, those claiming to be God's people. You will be criticized, you will be gossiped about, you will be slandered. They did it to Jesus, right? It was the religious people who persecuted Jesus. They said Jesus did miracles by Satan's power. That's the religious guys talking. Obviously, okay, you did the miracle, but obviously you're possessed by Satan. That's why you did the miracle. They said he was a terrorist planning to destroy the temple. They said that Jesus was born out of sexual immorality. They said all this stuff about Jesus, these religious people did, and on and on. God called Pam and me and our three then three kids to Twin Falls in 1994, and I had been a youth pastor in Southern California prior to that, and youth pastoring was awesome. I loved it. And Pam and I both loved the ministry, and I thought I would be a lifer. Nobody is a lifer in youth ministry, but I thought I would be the guy to, to just live out a life just speaking to high schoolers. And God had other plans, and and we make our plans, but God, He establishes our steps. So. So God called us to Twin Falls, Idaho, and I soon discovered there were people who were not happy that we were here. They were not pleased, and they were accusing me of all sorts of things, and they were saying all kinds of stuff about me. And so I asked to meet with my chief critics, and I thought, hey, we're Christians. We can hug it out, pray it out. That's what we do. We got Jesus in common. We can work this thing out. We're on the same team, so they agreed to meet with me and I show up for the meeting and I'm in this room and I sit down on a couch in the room and then five men come walking into the room. I'm sitting on the couch, they stand right in front of me. I'm sitting on the couch like this and they're standing right in front of me, looking down on me. And I'm like, this is not a prayer circle that I've ever seen before. And they began to tell me you know how evil I was and how I need to leave and and they just kind of went on and on and and I was like, "What is going on here?" And so they threatened to destroy me in my ministry, and I left the meeting thinking that that went well uh, and Nehemiah. Nehemiah was crucial to me in those days and in that moment. When God acts, Satan reacts. What when, when God builds, Satan tries to tear down. Everything God creates, Satan counterfeits. Every time you try and advance the plan of God, Satan tries to stop you from advancing the plan of God. That's the way it works. So listen, you know you're closing in on the target when the bullets start flying. Satan puts up scarecrows. I discovered this early on in my Christian life. We all know what a scarecrow is, right? A scarecrow, it's that stuffed man on a stick uh, at the edge of a field that supposedly is supposed to scare the birds away, right? He's just hanging there. Lifeless. The real smart birds, however, we know what the smart birds do. They see the scarecrow and they go, ah, there's good stuff on the other side of that stuffed guy. And they fly right past them and go into the field. So listen, the wise Christian leader will process the attacks through scripture, will realize the attacks and the criticism and the slanders are a part of the deal. They just are. And so you will not get a testimony until you get a test. And some think, you know, I don't wanna be on the front lines. I'd I'd like to be just in the back. I wanna live a comfortable life until Jesus comes back. That is so dumb. That is such a dumb attitude to take, it really is. The front lines is where Jesus is. He's the captain of our salvation. He's our shield and our buckler. He's the one who's there in the front. There's no weapon formed against you that's gonna prosper. The front lines, that's where the resources are. The front line is where the victories are won, where the army advances. In spiritual warfare, being in the back is the danger. That's where the real danger is. You remember the story in Exodus 17, and it's commented on in Deuteronomy, where Amalek, the Amalekites, attack Israel on the Exodus, right? You've got two to three million people marching through the wilderness on their way to the promised land, and the Amalekites attack. But where do they attack? They attack the back of the procession where the elderly, the feeble, and the sickly are. Despicable, low, despicable approach. What what do lions do? They, they don't wait for the fastest gazelle to come along, right? They they go after the sickly and the weak. It's, they don't want to have to run, you know, all afternoon. So 1 Peter 5 says that Satan goes around the world like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Who does he devour? The ones in the back, the ones who say, I'm not going to be serious about my Christian life. I just want to have comfort and fun in life. Listen, you are open to the lion's attack. It's not safer in the back. And get this, when you step up and step out into your calling, what God has called you to do, the good works that he's prepared in advance for you to do, you will be attacked. But Satan's attacks will not only make you stronger and wiser and and more useful to God, they, they will absolutely serve you and be a part of God's goodwill and plan for you. Man, if you, can, if you can embrace that truth, this, this is what I think, at least a part of what Paul was referring to in Romans 8, when he says we are more than conquerors through Christ, more than conquerors. So not only is Satan a conquered foe, But now, whatever Satan does to us there as we're fighting the good fight of faith, it's actually serving us. It's helping us. It's making us stronger and better and wiser and more holy and all of it. The thing he means to destroy us is the thing that builds us up into stronger people for God. When you decide you're going to serve the Lord, opposition is inevitable. But that's where the fun is, gang. Jesus is with you. He is with you every step of the way. Well, we got to move. Secondly, number two, please notice the necessary assessment. The necessary assessment, verse 11. So, I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what God put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me, but the one I was, that I rode, I went by night to the valley gate, uh, to the dragon spring, to the dung gate. I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down. It's gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went to the fountain gate, to the king's pool, but there's no room for the animal that was under me to pass. So it was so just full of rubble that I couldn't even get through. And then I turned back, entered by the valley gate, and so returned. The officials did not know where I had gone or where, what I was doing. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. So Nehemiah gets to Jerusalem and he rests for three days. Listen, Christian, you need to rest. It's important. He rests for three days, then he went out at night with a few guys to inspect the condition of the wall. He still did not told anyone what was in his heart to do. Listen, God's leaders have a sense of timing. When, when do we roll this out? When do we announce it? There's, there's a sense of being in step with the spirit. And so, if you're going to be a good leader, you need to pay attention. Pay attention to timing. God's leaders don't rush. God doesn't rush. He's never in a hurry. Everything God does, he does from perfect peace. Nehemiah has kept everything in his heart at this point. It's between him and God. Ellen Redpath, a great British teacher of a number of years ago, he said, quote, it's good to have Christian friends, but it's dangerous to wear your heart on your sleeve. Have a secret place somewhere which nobody knows anything about but you and God. Don't tell everybody everything. Have a place that's reserved for you and the Lord. Don't be the fool who's Heart and mind is presently known. They just blurt out everything. So Nehemiah rides out in the night. He inspects the wall. It's such a mess at one point. The animal that he's riding can't get past the rubble. So, so leaders, what you need to know is this. An honest assessment of the condition of your ministry or your area of leadership, wherever that may be, is vital to making good and wise decisions that will help move your area of leadership forward and help the people in that area flourish and be joyful and prosper and so on. Without accurate assessment, honest assessment and good information, we can't make good decisions and take good directions. Here's an example, I'll just just make this up to to illustrate. Once upon a time, there was a thing called COVID-19. And the leaders of this particular country, they told us not to wear masks because they, they weren't effective. But then they told us to wear masks because they were effective. And then they told us we need to quarantine for two weeks. And then they told us, uh, no, we need to quarantine for six months. That'll stop the spread. Then they told us that vaccines would eliminate the spread and the contraction of COVID. Then they told us it wouldn't stop the spread of COVID, but would lessen the severity of COVID. And then they told us that natural immunity uh, from having COVID, you know, the God-given vaccine, (laughs) Uh, was ineffective. Now the research, they say, says, no, it's the most effective, and on, and on, and on. The result of not having good information from our leaders is now we have people who largely don't trust our leaders, right? I mean, they're, they're, they're recommending that children to two years old get immunized. Like, why? Listen, I, I'm not a doctor, and, and I just have common sense. You know common sense? If children are not in danger in any way from... COVID, why in the world? And there's side effects and bad side effects to the, why in the world? I mean, if you choose to do that, that's between you and God. A good leader will assess their ministry or area of leadership honestly. They will look at it squarely and go, man, we are are suffering here. It's not good. And you will assess it honestly, and you'll then be able to make wise decisions. If you're a leader working under another leader, you would be wise to seek your leader's perspective on how your ministry or your area of leadership is doing. Because he'll tell you or she will tell you, ah, oh, you got problems. I see problems. Well, thirdly, a leader... needs to bring compelling inspiration to the people. And that's verse 17. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in? How Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates burn? Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them, Nehemiah talking, I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words of the king of Persia that he had spoken to me. And they said, let's arise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. I love this, this is such a lesson. Nehemiah shows up in Jerusalem for the first time in his life after traveling 800 miles from Persia, he rests for three days, he then goes out on a midnight mission to assess the work that needs to be done, he then calls a meeting of the people, and I'm sure everybody showed up because like Nehemiah showed up with horses and all these army guys from Persia, right? Like, What are they doing here, and they weren't saying. So everybody shows up to this meeting, And notice how he he addresses the issue. You see the trouble, we are in. Nehemiah has never been to Jerusalem. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. Listen, a a major key to effective leadership. Identify with the people you are leading and the problems that you face. Nehemiah could have said, you know, you guys have been living here for, you know, decades now, and why why don't you have the place cleaned up? What's wrong with you guys? Why haven't you done something about it? Don't you care about God and about his glory? What's the matter with you? I'm I'm here to save the day. So often I hear leaders of ministries or various areas say in frustration, I just can't get the people to do this or to show up or to do that. I just can't get them to do that. A major turning point in your ministry or in your leadership of your team or your classroom or whatever it is, is when you identify as one of your people. That what we do, we are doing together. The problems that we face, it's my problem too. Well, I, I need to figure out how to get us to show up, needs to be what the ministry leader says. I need to figure out how to motivate and inspire us to accomplish this. And if you, if you insist on going, it's me versus them, and I just can't you know get the volunteer or whatever, you're never gonna break through Not only did Nehemiah identify with the people, he testified to God's God's hand and favor in his life and he also told them that King Artaxerxes was for them. We have official backing from the Persian Empire. And they all responded with, we're in. You're with us. You're one of us. God's hand is upon you. He's given you favor. We can do this. This thing that we have neglected for decades upon decades, too daunting, too much. No, we can do it. That's leadership. Nehemiah inspired them to get on board. And we're going to do it together. Well, the last one is the courage, the courage of our calling. So notice verse 19, when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper and we his servants will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. So Sanballat and Tobiah have expanded uh, their evil team now to include an Arab called Geshem. And it's an unholy trinity that will oppose the work of God and the people of God throughout Nehemiah. And so they accuse Nehemiah here of rebelling against the king. The very thing he is not guilty of, right? He, he, his first request, I want you to send me, Artaxerxes, they say, you're just a rebel. It's just lies. It's fake news. Nehemiah doesn't even address their lie. He just says, God will prosper us, (laughs) and you'll have no part of it. That's the way it's going to go down. That's the way it's going to play out. Listen, the, the campaign that was launched against me and against our church many, many years ago, it eventuated with us getting disaffiliated from our roots, which is Calvary Chapel. And lies were spread about us, about our church, lies were spread about me. And some of those lies were believed even by people that I loved and that I respected and people that had an impact in my life as a Christian. And listen, it, it hurts. It hurts when people you love and respect are swayed by lies about you. That's a very deep hurt. But interestingly, the Lord told me not to defend myself. Don't do it. I will defend you. And he would defend me and his work in our midst would vindicate, would vindicate us, which it did. The head of, eventually, a number of years later, the head of the Calvary Chapel affiliation process called me and said, Greg, we want you to be a Calvary Chapel. God has blessed your church and we want you to be one of us again. Um, and you've always been one of us and so on, you know. And I shared that with our pastors at the time and we decided to politely decline. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate it but we're not interested at this point. So when we, when we lost our affiliation, I was faced with the reality of my calling. <laughs> um, I never considered leaving Twin Falls and our church here because of that, you know, those issues or whatever. And, and, and I say that, and it's not because I was courageous <laughs> or something or some noble thing, but it's because I was called here like unmistakably called by God. And so for me, it, it just, it's wasn't an, it doesn't matter what is happening, it's just I'm called. And so God called me and my family here. And we eventually said yes to the Calvary Chapel affiliation, and Pastor Chuck himself would come up and dedicate our building. Uh, I spent the whole day with Pastor Chuck and it was, glorious uh, not not a whole lot of you familiar with pastor chuck or the, or it was a terrible impersonation one of the two i got a couple yes so it was wonderful and and chuck did an amazing service that i think it was a wednesday night and the place was packed and and pastor chuck stayed after for an hour hour and a half just Shaking hands with people, praying for people. And Chuck was so blessed by our church. Chuck was the one, Pastor Chuck, who I got on the phone with on a payphone in 1994 on the side of a liquor store in Tacoma, Washington. I, I was told you need to call Pastor Chuck because. Pastor Don McClure was telling me that, listen, you need to go to Twin Falls. This was part of the the whole story, the whole journey of God making it known. And Don McClure sets up this call with Pastor Chuck. So we we get to this liquor store to the payphone at exactly the time, two o'clock in the afternoon, I call, oh, Greg. And I say, Chuck, are you, like, in favor of me going to Twin Falls and and getting with this group of people that's wanting to move forward, and he said, "Yes, Greg, yes, I'm in favor of it." And I said, "So, will it will be Calvary Chapel," and he said, "Oh, yes, you'll be a Calvary Chapel." I'm like, "So this, you gotta put yourself in my in my shoes." I'm like, "Okay, I'm in the middle of Tacoma, Washington, at, on the side of a liquor store talking to Chuck Smith." Who's telling me go to Twin Falls? And I, it took a little while to to wrap my head around it, but I called my wife as soon as I could. Said, "Honey, we got we got to go to Twin Falls. We got to at least go and visit. We got to spy it out. Like this is this is officially serious now." Long story short, God led us here. His call was unmistakable, and that call through thick and thin, through the you know, hard times, the challenges, the opposition, all of that has been the thing that has kept us here. We're here because God called us here. We love it here, we do. But God has called us here, therefore, we ain't going anywhere. Doesn't matter. So I close with this. Acts 2024, 20, Paul says, I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. I don't count my life as valuable. It's just not. <laughs> I mean, he's going, I, I I'm not gonna try and live as long as I can, or you know, do. do Go do all the health things to try and extend. I, I'm not, I don't think that way. He's just going, I want to finish my course. I, just, I want to run the race. Listen, when when you give your life to the Lord to serve the Lord and, and the calling upon your life manifests itself to you, it will keep you from wasting your life and wasting your time with, with just baubles. You know, chasing stuff in this world that ultimately isn't, doesn't mean anything. It'll keep you on track and it'll keep you in the battle where you belong, front lines. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning for the clarity, the wisdom, the light that comes from the word and in particular Nehemiah. And God, I pray that that these lessons for leaders would Lord, strengthen us, would would give us context to our individual circumstances that we're in right now, perhaps opposition that we face, perhaps attacks that have come, and that, Lord, we would process these things through scripture, through prayer, and not make the mistake of fighting with fleshly weapons. The weapons of our warfare are not fleshly or carnal, but they are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. So, Lord, continue to teach us through this wonderful book, and Lord, would you meet us at the table now Lord, I believe that this morning there has been an awakening in some about a calling that is upon their life. And maybe you've whispered to them about it. But this morning, your whisper has grown louder and more sure. And so, Lord, would you, perhaps even in our communion time, would you bring those people, Lord, to the place of surrender and commitment to your purposes, your goodwill and plan, the work that you're calling them to do. For we pray in Jesus' good name. Amen. Amen.